there. Welcome to You're Doing Fine, Oklahoma, where we explore mysteries, hauntings, and family secrets from the great state of Oklahoma and beyond. I'm Shy. And I'm Shanna. We're wannabe mystery solvers and cousins that love to hash out our favorite whodunits during family time. Our husbands are afraid of us, as As they they should be. be. So, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Trying something new for You're Doing Fine Oklahoma, aren't we? Yeah, we're doing new things. We are doing new things. This, we said 2022 was going to be the year of the podcast, right? Yes. New shit in the podcast. Yes. So, we're doing new shit. Yep. We met a stranger on the internet. (laughs) And came to their house. Do not recommend. <laughs> you guys, everything we have ever said in our podcast not to do, we just jumped right in. We did. We even drove all the way to Tulsa from Oklahoma City. And we're like, we're going to a stranger's house. It's going to be today. great. Now I'm going to murder you. It's going to be great. I was like, there's there's a 10% chance we're going to get murdered. We're walking into a murder trap. But you know what? Turn on that Life 360 app and... It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> it's going to be great. We still have a whole podcast to do. She might be like, and we're done. So welcome to this week's episode yeah. of You're Doing Fine, Oklahoma. We are in Tulsa. We are in Tulsa. On location. On location. In the Siren's Den. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. I like that a lot. With Raven from the Siren's yeah. Podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doing a crossover episode. It's going to be Crossover. Yeah. Crossover. Sorry. So, it's, I do all my own music, so. <laughs> I love that. It's, this is so exciting. Yeah. So nerve wracking. We were like, ooh, we got to do shit the right way. Because yeah. she has a real podcast. She's got the whole setup, you guys. Like, we walked in and we're like, what are these shiny, bright, colorful things? All the lights and all the knobs. We got to get our shit together. You guys, we even have headphones on right now. <laughs> and you got a TV up behind oh, you. you got a TV. It's and there's, crazy. there's like a crossover, sirens, and you're doing fine. Graphic. Graphic. And we have graphics. a wall. Don't forget to sign the wall oh, God. before you yeah, leave. That's the guest wall. Guys, she's got a Goonies poster. I do. It's the best. A Shining poster, yeah. My daughter loves the Shining. (laughs) Man. I know. I'm just... Woo! This is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. I am super excited. (laughs) See how much we can fuck this up. I'm actually most excited because I don't have to tell a story this time. Yeah, you I just, get to listen. You get to listen. You can ask any questions. So we excited. might know the answer. Um, Maybe. I don't have my producer, so we can't. I mean, I guess we we would have to do it ourselves. We have to Google it ourselves. But oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, like peasants. Yeah, and sometimes <laughs> we don't even Google it. Sometimes we just come just up with some bullshit it. to we'll fill just, in the blanks. <laughs> this sounds good. Yep, mm-hmm. that yeah. sounds right. Yeah, so super excited. <laughs> So this week we'll be on You're Doing Fine, Oklahoma, and then we'll have our second part to this story. Yes, part two. Next week on the Sirens Podcast. Yes. So if you're a You're Doing Fine, Oklahoma subscriber that is not currently a Sirens subscriber, you should get over there and subscribe. Mm -hmm. Head on over. 
Listen to all the other episodes. Oh my gosh. Do they have to do that first? Because there's so many. I mean, <laughs> might as well, right? They may be traveling. They may need, you know, something to keep them. I just going. sort of assume other people listen to podcasts all the time because I listen to it on my commute during mm-hmm. my nine hour work day. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I just assume other people consume 10 to 12 hours of podcasts every day. You Am know, I not right? No. <laughs> I, Mine's no. audiobooks. That too. I yeah. do the audiobooks and the podcast. I used yeah. to be audiobooks and I ran out of audiobooks. That, yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing, yeah. So I'm just kind of like, well, here we are with a new podcast, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Let's do it. It's all right. All right. Okay. So take it away, Shy. Okay. Well, we wanted to try and come up with a really good true crime story, something that's obviously here in Oklahoma. So we're going to tell the story of Bobby Parker and Randolph. Franklin Dial. All right. So, um, August 30th, 1994, Randolph Dial abducts the wife of a deputy prison warden just outside the fences of the Oklahoma State Reformatory in Granite, Oklahoma. Bobby Parker was the wife of the deputy warden. She was 31 years old at the time of the abduction, obviously married, and she was a teacher and a mother of two young girls. So as we know, and as Shane and I have learned researching these, there's usually not a lot of information ever about the victims, right? Mm-hmm. Especially these earlier crimes that happened. You got to dig for that. Yeah. 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 A lot of digging, still very little information, but we're going to try to, you know, give you a little bit of information about Bobby. So she was born, we do know, in 1962 in North Central Kansas. Somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> She grew up on a farm. As we do mm-hmm. in Kansas. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, she stated that it was a, you know, very normal childhood. Nothing out of the ordinary, which I feel like that was most, I think. All of us. In I the think that's what most kids would say. 80s. Yeah. It was normal. We were all free range. Basically. Yeah. yeah. So. And even if it wasn't normal, you thought it was normal. Oh, yeah. That's Nobody the only knew any different. Knew. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby did attend college in Oklahoma. And this is where she would meet her future husband, a man by the name of Randy Parker. They ended up getting married in 1982. So between 82 and 86, Bobby and Randy would have two daughters, Robbie and Brandy. Beautiful little kid, beautiful little girls. So Randy was pretty ambitious, actually. A very career-minded man. He worked his way up through the ranks at the Oklahoma Department of Corrections and was named the deputy warden at Oklahoma State Reformatory in 93. And he was only in his early, like early 30s, like super young. It yeah. doesn't, that doesn't happen. And during this time, you know, Bobby was a teacher. She would, um, I think at one or two of the prisons that Randy was working at, she mm-hmm. would, she would teach. She became a teacher at the prison. Oh, nice. One of the prisons, she was the special needs teacher, right. spe- special needs prisoners. And, We do know that she did receive the Teacher of the Year Award at one of those prisons. So she was pretty... She's good at her job. Yeah, she was good at her job. She obviously loved to teach, you know, working with adults, it sounds like, more than anything. So Mm -hmm. in 1993, actually the fall of 93, when Bobby and Randy, or I guess when Randy took the job, right? Yeah. At the Oklahoma State Reformatory. This is where Bobby would end up meeting uh, Randolph Franklin Dial. I'm okay. guessing he's not working there. <laughs> he is not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he is not. So, a little bit 
background on Mr. Dial. Dial was born in Tulsa in 44. He spent time in Mexico studying painting at the University of Mexico in Mexico City. He was artistic. Okay. Okay. This is where he would meet his first wife, Christine. So we've, when we were doing this research, we do know he was married at least three times. He was married at least three times in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma. Oh, Some some reports say more than that. Some say like Mexico or who who knows. Yeah. Like the stuff you're going to find out about Dial, you're just like, does this man know how to tell the truth? Basically. Okay. Okay? So it's just going to get worse. So (laughs) buckle up. Buckle up. (laughs) Buckle up, buttercup. It's just going to get worse. So some reports say he had six kids. We could only find that he had two or I mean, excuse me, three So uh, it's anybody's guess at this point. After college in Mexico, he relocated back to Tulsa and he actually became an art teacher here in Tulsa and sold art at various galleries and private sales. Okay. Okay. And by his own account was a relatively successful artist and sculptor here in like the northeastern part of Oklahoma. That's how he made a living. He did not have any other jobs. Mm -mm. All right. Everything's going well so far. Right? It seems (laughs) great. It seems great right now. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So he was so good at art and sculpting that one of his pieces, an oil derrick sculpture, wound up being sold to the art director of a little TV show that got pretty famous back in the 80s, a little TV show called Dallas. What? Yes. Mm -hmm. Really? Yes. Okay. And this oil derrick sculpture would actually, it was, if you watched the episodes, it was setting on J.R. Ewing's desk. Well, hi. Yeah. Yeah. Like in every episode, that That's sculpture is kind of cool. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. Is- so everything is going really, really well for him. Uh-huh. All right. So All right. well. Okay. So well. You're like, what? <laughs> So well. And that oil derrick sculpture got him a lot of business because he he was either credited with it on in the episode credits or people would ask around, especially like CEOs of oil and gas companies would ask around and say, you know what I really need right now? is one of them oil derrick sculptures like J.R. Ewing has. You know what? That's what I really need. So he was doing a lot of commission pieces, and most of those commission pieces were these fucking oil derrick sculptures. You know? For big wigs. That's nice. I guarantee you somebody's got one of those sculptures here in Tulsa or in Oklahoma City. Oh, I bet a ton of people have them. Yeah, Like, I would love if anyone knows... There's so many museums here too. Like, there's got to be one in oh a museum gosh. somewhere. Yeah, I'm wondering, like the I bet Philbrook or the what's the one out there by Bartlesville? The um the Gilcrease. There's so many up here. So, but they've if you gotta have one, if yeah. you or your grandpa that was a CEO of an oil and gas company <laughs> um has <laughs> an oil derrick statue, yeah, from Randolph Dial, we'll put it on. We'll put it on our Insta. So, and you can yeah. like look through your grandparents. Tag us on tag us on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> you might not even know that it's by him. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah, yeah. Go and look. It might be worth millions. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> literally, like seriously, seriously, could. Yeah. So everything we it was going good, right? Yeah. So we think seemingly, right? yeah. So and 
from reports, his early criminal history was super minimal. Like he had, he wrote some bad checks here and there. Like okay. who the fuck didn't in the eighties? Right. Yeah. Um, he made threats again. Who in the fuck didn't in the eighties? <laughs> um, that they didn't make him online like they do now. They made him to people's faces. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 But then he goes and commits murder. Wait. 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 <laughs> Uh-huh. This is the definition of like that escalated quickly. That, that escalated so, fast. so quickly. So fast. Okay. Uh-huh. Whoa. Okay. Here we go. Yeah. Why did he commit murder? Let me let me just tell you. Okay. Let's let's tell let's talk about this little murder. This murder he committed was so unconnected to himself that the police were unable to solve the crime except for when dial turned himself in five years later okay they had nothing literally nothing and when you look up when you look up try to look up the details like media details on this murder from 81 it's like well this guy died in broken arrow and then nothing Nothing. what yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Mm mm-hmm so, so then why did he turn himself in? We'll tell you. Okay. We'll, yeah. <laughs> so this is what happens when Shane and I talk. <laughs> okay. We're going to get to that. We're going right. to hold, please. We're going to get to hold. Please. So the person that Dial would end up murdering was a name, uh, excuse me, a man by the name of Kelly Hogan from Broken Arrow. This murder um, happened in September 16th, excuse me, 1981. Right down the street. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where's the house at? Yeah, right. We got an address. We can find it. Field sure trip. We, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> That's creepy. <laughs> Kelly Hogan was a local martial artist and martial arts instructor in Tulsa, and by all accounts, was a super popular guy. Very well liked. You he know, was a hottie patati too. Yeah, in like, 81. just really liked the art, martial arts, like, just doing very well for himself. And so his, like, his murder just came as this complete shock to everyone, because they were like, ha, like... He had no enemies. He had none. How like, old how was he when he got murdered? He's in his 30s, I in think. his 30s? I think so, mm-hmm. yeah. Just, like, well-known in the community. Yeah. Yep. And just all of a sudden was murdered. So, so weird. Yeah. So it was so random that authorities, like, we, like I said earlier, they couldn't identify... Who wanted to hurt this guy at all? Like, they were just like, um, uh, we got nothing. We got nothing. Yep. No leads. No evidence. No nothing. He was shot on his front porch steps. Yep. What? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Yep. Five years after the murder, Randolph Dial would walk into a police station in Las Vegas, Nevada, and turn himself in for the murder. For the murder that happened here in Mm -hmm. Oklahoma? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Five years prior. Yes. That's such a strange thing to do. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's go into his motivation for that. So another fun fact about Randolph Dial, he also wrote a book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's a self-published, some, I'm going to say loose uh, biography because it's total bullshit. Oh, no. It's got to be at least 80% bullshit it's with some smatterings be. of oh, small no. truths. Yeah. But he self-published this book in the early 2000s. Okay. And spoke about his history and 
his background and essentially how he was a really great guy that got himself into some bad situations because of all of the quote unquote connections that he had. I mean, Shy will go into it more, but it's very strange. He he kind of spouts off his connections to so he's like name dropping this entire book, essentially. <laughs> and it's not even it's not even specific names, but it's very like, uh, you know, I was in the Secret Service. Okay, oh. homie, no, you weren't. Um, okay. I was in Vietnam. I was a Green Beret. Mm-hmm. No, the fuck you weren't. What? Um, uh, and there are no. You know, there are no records anywhere that support any of this. So oh, he he was very, he always tried to play on his ties to local law enforcement, mm-hmm. federal law enforcement, uh, state law enforcement, saying he had friends in the FBI, et cetera, et cetera. But he didn't. Fuck no. Okay. There's no way. Yeah. No way. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even, the name, okay, so the full name of the book, I'm not sure, but it was In the Wind something, right? Yeah, it's like, like it's, in the, it's like In the Wind, my time journey. On the, time on the Run or something Time crazy. on the Run or something. I don't know. Nonsense. Yeah. We ain't even going to get out of it, the full name because it's not worth your time to, it, to it listen costs, to or read. It, it cost me eleven ninety nine on Amazon Kindle and <laughs> I fucking regret that purchase. <laughs> I could have bought something so much better. I could have bought a spin mall. <laughs> what, wait, but what about, like, did he talk about, like, his crimes in that? Because I, mm-hmm. uh-huh, yeah. I thought you couldn't make money off of your own crimes. Well, let's be a hundred percent clear. He made, I'm sure he made zero dollars <laughs> off of it. I can't imagine. And at that point in, I don't know when that statute came into play. Right. Right. I know right, Oklahoma right. has one. Yeah. I don't know when it came into play. Yeah, I'm not sure. This was pre 2007. Okay. So okay. not sure about profiting off of, you know, profiting okay. off of crime like that, but gotcha. All right. he made zero dollars off of it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or he died like not long after it yeah. was published, so it doesn't yeah. matter. Um, so in this book, he details the motivation for killing Hogan. Oh, okay. So for killing <laughs> Kelly. Okay. So he stated that he was living in Tulsa at the time, and a very well connected friend called him one day out of the blue. Again, we got these connections, mm-hmm. right? This friend told him that he had heard that Kelly was selling drugs to his students. One of those students happened to be the teenage son of Dial. Again, this is all Dial's account. Dial was apparently so enraged by this that he called Hogan on the phone stating, I know what you're doing, and if you don't stop, I will stop it. To which Hogan apparently replies, you're fucking crazy, but if you want to bring it on, bring it on. We're going to settle this the old-fashioned way. <laughs> Murder. <laughs> I would... I would personally never tussle with a martial arts no. instructor. And that's probably why he took a gun. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Uh, the following week, Dial shows up at Hogan's home, knocks on the front door. When Hogan answers, Dial takes out a revolver from his pocket and shoots him in the chest and leaves him for dead. What the? Yeah. Mm-hmm. By Dial's own admission, had zero remorse for killing Hogan because... He believed that drugs would be the scourge of America. But he literally has no actual evidence that any of that was happening. And he he goes into this whole thing in his book about how he feels so passionately that drugs are going to ruin 
the American dream or whatever, and how he was so passionate about it and was telling everyone he could, including his friends at the FBI and the OSBI, that they needed to be tougher on drugs. And what about like, murder? Mm-hmm. We're like, but you fucking shot someone like, yeah. oh that my you God. don't even know. Yeah. Murder's totally fine, y'all. Just don't do drugs. Yeah, just, don't do drugs, y'all. So he keeps the secret to himself, like doesn't tell anyone. And then somewhere around 1986, Dial reportedly learned that the well-connected friend who told Hogan, who told him that Hogan was dealing these drugs Mm -hmm. from the studio, was really a disgruntled former student of Hogan, wait for it, who was injured during a sparring with Hogan and reportedly lost the use of his penis due to the injury. Legitimately... In his book, he says five years later, he starts hearing through the grapevine that this well-connected friend, and he he mentions him in the book. I didn't even put it down because it's probably complete and total bullshit that this alleged well-connected friend, and we're not talking well-connected law enforcement side. We're talking well-connected like mob side. Ooh. Yeah. Allegedly. Um. <laughs> that he was a student of Hogan's and Hogan threw him, he was sparring with him, threw him on the ground and somehow completely injured himself and was now having erectile dysfunction. And people were talking about it in Tulsa, oh apparently. God. Why are we talking about this guy's dick? That's what I'm saying. Who's talking about other dudes' dicks, but whatever. And it was it was uh, it was a it's, woman. Dicks are very you know important like, to guys. He, yeah, he can't use it, and he was like, "Oh, I need to I, make some shit up I right need, now." Yeah, yeah, like I need everyone to know that I can no longer use my penis. So yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> that is. Oh my god. I swear to God, I in my brain I'm like, this is the most bullshit story I've ever heard anyone make up. But whatever. Yeah. Whatever. And then so he tells Dial. For yeah, whatever allegedly. reason that he can't use his, well, he, he somebody refrained. tells Dial. Some, okay. Yeah. Okay. Somebody tells Dial that this guy said that because he can't use his penis. Yeah. This dude has erectile dysfunction now because he was okay. injured during That's, a sparring match with right. yeah. Kelly Hogan. So instead of being like, hey, I want to hire you to kill someone because you're a, you're a hired gun. Yeah. I just think any man that goes to find someone that goes to find an assassin, a gunman, to kill someone else, if there was really a problem with their fucking dick, they would have said, this guy, this guy made me impotent. I need you to off him. And the other dude would be like, I got you, bro. Where I go. Yeah. Bit. Yeah. Where I go. I got you, bro. Well, maybe he thought he could get it for free if he just riled him up a little bit, you know, with this drug story. I mean. There's so much. Let me, I'm just going to keep going. (laughs) (laughs) The lies. There's so much bullshit. There's so much bullshit. Okay, it's I'm just I'm trying to keep it all straight. So right, I feel like we're we're just about to get out of hand. Like we're not out of hand already, but Dial is out of hand. He's out of hand. Yeah. Dial's way past being okay. anywhere in line with anything. So he found this out and he turned himself in. That's his story. Okay, that's the story he's sticking to. Yes, but why, why would that? Why would that provoke him to turn himself in? I'm getting ready to tell okay. you. All right. I love this. It's not Shana. I know. It's just I was like, like having Shane, two what are we gonna... in the same studio, right? Because usually when we were talking about this earlier, I was like, Shane usually is the one that's yeah. like, 
but why? But how? And I'm like, hold on, I'm going to tell you. And Shan's like, oh yeah, because I already know this story. We did all, yeah. So I love this. All right. Okay. At that point, Dial realizes that he has used, has been used to do someone else's dirty work with this so-called playing on his feelings about drugs and his son. Okay. okay. After this realization, Dial turned himself in to Las Vegas authorities where he stated, okay, here's lie number three, that he had killed Hogan for $5,000 giving t- given to him by a Tulsa businessman insinuating that he was hired as a hitman for a mob type character. So did he give the name of the guy who initially told him? No, because it's all lies. Oh my God. It's all bullshit. It's all like, it's another lie. At first it's his son. Okay. He's killing for his son. <laughs> then he's killing for another man's penis. And, and, and now, now he's, he's killing hitman. for the mob. Cool. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Just all so right. long as we're all on the same page. <laughs> It's all lies. Lies one, two, and three. Okay. Makes perfect sense. It does, right? (laughs) So very quickly, Dial was extradited back to Oklahoma, charged with murder in the first degree, and was eventually sentenced to life with parole and was serving his sentence in Granite, Oklahoma, at the Oklahoma State Reformatory. Okay. Okay. Wait, Granite? Granite, Oklahoma. I have no idea where that's at. It's southwest. It's like down there by Lawton and Altus and that area. By the time Randy and Bobby Parker got to Granite in 93, Dial had served seven years of his life sentence. Okay. And by this time was enjoying the perks of being a prison trustee. I am angry. (laughs) You've had other issues with the prison trustee status, (laughs) right? Yep, me too. Here's the thing. So this was... He was obviously in prison for murder in the first degree. For him to have trustee status... Is stupid. He had his status at medium security Mm -hmm. because of his conviction, right? Mm -hmm. Had to be lowered to minimum security for him to have this status. Okay. Huge eye roll. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to go... We're going to get into the fun stuff of what all he did. Oh, no. While he was here, we go the fun loving trustee. Fairly quickly, Dial gained not only the trust but the respect from the warden Jack Cowley. Cowley ended up providing him with many opportunities to do art, to manage different projects inside the prison, and basically treated him as a friendly acquaintance. So we know one thing's Perfect. for sure. <laughs> yeah, you're like great, great, yeah. great, great, great. Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> So, as you're, they had, there was a 48 hours, 2020, what was it? Dateline something. Something like that. There yeah. was a special over this called The Devil and Bobby, Bobby Parker. Parker. Mm, okay. um, and these, you know, interviews with people. He uh, very much was master manipulator. I honestly believe that he was the textbook narcissist, maybe sociopath. You no, know, anybody that doesn't have a ton of common sense would fall for his bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So the whole time you're watching this stuff, you're like, how, how? The whole people- time we were going through this, we were like, these fucking men are falling <laughs> for his bullshit. The men. These fucking men are falling for the bullshit. <laughs> and the women are like, mm, yeah, just some wait. doesn't feel we, right. We got the best. <laughs> one of the women, one of the women in this story, 
We love giving a shout out to like badass women for all of the crimes, like true crimes we've covered. Oh yeah. There's one woman in here. We're like, fuck yes. Like she was like, I ain't dealing with this shit. Like y'all are dipshits for believing any of this. Anyways. So the warden was totally tight with him. Totally tight with okay. Warden Jack Cowley. Mm-hmm. That sounds perfect. Mm-hmm. Cowley was known as the inmate's warden. I, I think it was a newspaper reporter, maybe even the prisoners at the prison, um, said he had this management style called Hug-a-Thug. So he very much was like a reformatory. Like he wanted mm-hmm. to. He wanted to rehabilitate. Rehabilitate. Yeah. There's prisoners. nothing wrong with that. Yeah, there nothing. is nothing wrong with it. But you're still dealing with murderers. Yeah, you still got to know your audience. <laughs> yes. You still got to read the room mm-hmm. a little bit. Right. And mm-hmm. not, I'm just going to put this out there, not everyone is redeemable. It's true. I'm just throwing that out there. 100%. Yeah. They can get right with Jesus, like, after the fact, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. not everyone needs to be out on the streets yeah. living their lives. Right. Yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he was pretty much very pro-inmate, Jack Cowley was. When Randy Parker was brought on in as a deputy warden in 93. Cowley quickly introduced Dial to Randy, and Dial was placed close to Randy, working in his office, taking out trash, other janitorial duties. And at one point, Dial basically moved in to Randy Parker's office while painting a mural in the office. So I think this was like over a course of a couple of months. Yeah, it went on for a while. Yeah. And so Dial was so buying, yeah, Dial was buying cigarettes for Randy and earning his trust, like they do. Mm-hmm. And according to Dial, Randy sometimes let him stay in the office when meetings were happening with other prison officials. Did, were they not aware that he murdered? I'm just wondering. For seemingly no reason, by the way. I mean, at least some guys in there have like, oh well, you know, I'm cheating with my old lady or whatever. But this is just like, who knows? What the reason was, and we're just letting him do whatever. Yes. Yeah, his murder was random at best. This is so random. Yeah. Yeah. Literally it's, could happen to anyone at any time with this guy. Yeah. And they're just letting him do whatever. That's they're great. Letting him do whatever. That's great. Mm-hmm. By his own admission, Dial stated that the prison officials were usually very uncomfortable with their arrangement, but obviously. They I mean they still But they yeah. still they let, let it, it happen. Go on. Yeah. Like at what point was somebody why didn't somebody say, You've got to go? And they were discussing other inmates and prison business and security mm-hmm. and things oh like that God, while no. they have an inmate in here setting at his little paint paint party station, painting just, the wall. Just listening. Just yeah. eavesdropping. Yeah. yeah. Let me I'm have just, all the information. Thank you. <laughs> it just blows my mind because I remember. So my dad, I grew up, my dad was in Department of Corrections. Mm-hmm. My dad was the. He was a case manager. Case manager. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. That's my own dad. Whatever. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but he never had pictures of us, anyone oh, in his yeah. family in our offices. Smart. And any time a prisoner came in that knew us, because there was some yeah, we had that a lot knew of, our family. A lot of people go to prison from our small town. From our, yeah. <laughs> well, in Oklahoma. Yeah. Like everybody knows everybody in Oklahoma. Would pretty much be like, you don't know me mm-hmm. and you don't know my family. Yeah. Are we clear? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you're not, we're not playing this game. That's smart. Yeah. So- for somebody to be like, sure, buddy, it's so Let's foreign. Be best yeah, it's so foreign to me that I'm like, yeah. And her dad worked at a a medium security facility, medium and and uh, minimum security facility. Yeah. So it wasn't. I mean, he wasn't working on death row or anything. It was. It was medium and 
minimum yeah. security criminals that would be getting out soon. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Or the, yeah, that were there for short yeah. periods. People but, that were there for theft and stuff yeah. like that. They were yeah. not there for murdering people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, and he was still on top of it. Yeah. He was oh, like, yeah. no, he didn't yeah. fuck around with any mm-hmm. of that nonsense. No, he's like, I'm putting my family in. That is so danger, crazy so, yeah. that these people are just like, yeah, whatever, man, whatever yeah. you want. That's why I'm just like, how? <laughs> so whatever happens, whatever you're about to tell me that happens after this, I feel like it's probably on those people. Fair <laughs> enough. Okay. That if tracks. We're, if we're allowing mm-hmm. it to happen, I'm yeah. just saying, whatever's about to happen. That tracks. Yep. <laughs> this is fun. I usually don't have paper. <laughs> so Dial was also, he ended up being placed as yard maintenance man at the Parker residence. Parker residence was outside the prison walls. What? Yeah. He got to mm-hmm. do yard yard work and general like, like upkeep around the house because the house belonged to the prison. Okay. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. all right. Yep. <laughs> okay. So okay. So who's watching him while he's doing this? I mean, he's a trustee, so they're just letting him do it on his Basically? own. Uh-huh. Yeah. Literally Whoa. no one. Yeah. All right. Yeah. They're just like, we trust you. <laughs> trustee. Okay. Slash murderer. So this is my favorite story that we found while researching this. So Randy Parker's secretary, her name was Ann Brooks. Okay. She would later testify that Warden Cowley and Dial had become friends and that they spoke frequently inside the prison. Okay. I don't like that at all. She also went on to testify. She didn't trust him and always called him that conniving inmate. Smart woman. Okay. Okay. My favorite story that she testified. (laughs) The best. She testified that one morning she always made coffee for the office. Okay. She not only made coffee, she supplied the coffee maker and coffee for this office. Like it was hers. Okay. Okay. So she's just being the best secretary ever. And one morning the coffee was all drank up. Like it was gone. Dial came in. Wanted a cup of coffee, and she was like, um, coffee's gone. I'm not making another pot. Also, it's not for you. Get out. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right? What is happening? Uh-huh. She would later be reprimanded by Cowley. What? And told oh in no uncertain terms that Dial could have coffee whenever he wanted it. No. So this badass, Anne, took her coffee pot and coffee home. I was like, I'm not making coffee anymore. Y'all don't get coffee. Oh, you're gonna act like children. I'm gonna treat you like children. She literally took her ball and went the fuck home. She's like, like, fuck you guys. It's Mm. my. If I have, I'm not serving an inmate coffee. I'm not serving a murderer coffee. Yeah, no, it's my freaking coffee. They can go get coffee at the commissary. Yeah, good luck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I like her. Yeah, yeah, we were like, wow, she's a bad bitch. Yeah, gets it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at this time. Dial having his hands in basically everything at the prison, right? Uh, He helped set up a staff gym that had a walking track, weights, treadmills, all the things that were to be used by the employees and their families. This was set up in a vacant cell block. He had people so wrapped around around his fingers. fingers. Yeah. That they let him live in this vacant cell block with access to a shower, a phone, what? Yes, by himself. And no guards. So whenever prison employees or their family members came in to work out, he's just creeping around overseeing there. their workouts. Just hanging that's out. That's not cool, man. Not at mm-hmm. all. That's mm-hmm. fucking, why would you, that's so weird. Why would you do that? 
That's so strange. I, I, just I. It yeah. also makes me wonder. You said that he was coming in and out of the warden's office a lot, all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, isn't that where they keep like case files and stuff like that? Oh yeah, he, he was. By just, his account, he was overhearing um, private case information oh on a God. multitude of inmates, and he utilized that information in the yard because he also ran a business. Of course, he did. Of course. You know, he he ran a trade business where he would take shit from the commissary and then trade for other stuff. Okay. And no one was calling him on his bullshit because he was friends with the warden, right? And he's just finding all this blackmail. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. On literally anyone and everyone. Yeah. Yeah. He was quiet enough to kind of creep around in the background and no one thought he was... A, a murderer? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All of this is going downhill, I feel like. He was so just kind of separated from everyone that they have head count in the morning and at night. Every prison. Head count. Right. At least twice you, a day. Right. You come out of your cell mm-hmm. and they physically count your heads. Right? Yeah. He didn't have to do that. He could call in from his From the cell, vacant cell block with the his, gym. At the gym. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I feel like if I were in charge and I found this out, I'd be like, everyone's fired. Everyone is fired. Send him back to it's his It's just cell. the domino effect of like so many God. bad policies and bad decisions mm-hmm. on the part of uh, staff and the, that warden specifically yep. that oh it's gosh. a shit show. Yeah. Yeah. When he was done, I guess, setting up this staff gym, doing all the things there, he needed a new project. So he convinced Cowley to set up a pottery studio in the Parker's garage. No. Uh-huh. No. He, not only that, he was able to get Cowley to contact a local merchant who agreed to provide the equipment and supplies to set up the studio. And in return, <laughs> would give was given a contract to purchase and sell the pottery and sculpture pieces that came from the studio. So sick of it. I'm so sick of it. This is all just leading up to something horrific. I feel it in my bones. <laughs> What's keeping him from just skipping town? Not a goddamn thing. It turns out literally nothing. Nothing yeah. at all. <laughs> nothing. No one. Please continue. <laughs> Late spring of 94, Bobby Parker had been working as a substitute teacher in the local school district, but Dial wanted Parker, wanted Bobby, all to himself. Oh, no. So after some scheming... He was able to get Cowley to place Bobby as a sponsor for his pottery studio. Okay. Okay. But doesn't she also live there? Like Mm -hmm. where the Mm -hmm. studio Mm -hmm. is at? Okay. Yeah. He had notes and journals and had talked to other inmates at the time. He was, he had met Bobby Parker in the gym Mm-hmm. In the employee gym. Mm-hmm. That was probably real awkward for her. And was completely infatuated with her. Oh Obsessed. From his little vacant cell block gym dorm room, <sighs> he was able to see the back of the Parker house. Oh, no. And he would just sit and watch. So now we've got a stalker on our hands. I mean, probably. Completely okay. infatuated with her. Yeah, because yeah, he said in his book he was completely infatuated. Yes. When school let out in the summer of 94... Dial was working in the pottery studio and convinced that he would have unfettered access to Bobby. But one thing he didn't plan on was Bobby was a mom who had kids that weren't in school. 
summertime. They were at home. Dial wrote in his book that he was not interested in dealing with Bobby's kids and he wanted her all to himself. (laughs) At this point is when he started thinking of ways to be alone with Bobby. He believed that the kindness that she had shown him for the better part of a year meant that she felt the same way about him as he did about her. Oh my God, typical man. I know. Like she tolerated his presence. So he was like, she wants my dick. (laughs) Yeah. 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 She definitely wants me. She totally. She wants wants (laughs) Super she likes older men. That's so gross. Men are so gross. Sorry, one guy who listens to this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're, it's not a lie. It's not a male-dominated audience. No, for sure. no it's really not. not. That's all right. Mm-mm. Maybe we should talk about football or like <laughs> monster trucks or whatever they focus their time Whatever on. they're Yay, into. sports balls. <laughs> no. So as the summer went on, less potter- pottery was <laughs> being made and Dial was just kind of hanging around the Parker's property at this point. D- does mm-hmm. it ever say how many people are in this pottery class? So from what I understand from, of course, the book he wrote, is that the prison took it more as a studio for him okay. to produce okay. art pieces that they would then sell. Yeah, because I was about to say, if it's in their garage, like how many inmates are they letting out Mm-mm. just to to be? Because he okay. would do like little art classes and stuff for the inmates in, in the prison mm-hmm. walls. Uh, but this particular pottery studio this in the okay. Parker's garage was almost exclusively for him. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At this point, Randy kind of notice, you know, notices, hey, there's not much pottery being mm-hmm. made around here. And then at this point was like, hey, Cowley, like you need to get this guy out. Like he needs to, he needs to go. Parker had noticed that not only that, but he was also like very controlling in everything at the prison, as well as at the Parker household. So he had like, he was trying to manipulate the whole situation there. And Randy was like, oh, something's not right here. A year and a half later, maybe we need to actually treat him like a prisoner. Anywho. Or not. Either way. Or we'll just let it go. It's fine. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) Within a couple of days of Randy saying... Hey, Callie, he's got to go. Dial would abduct Parker's wife. Oh, my God. And go on the longest prison escape in history. And that is the end of part one. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) If you've enjoyed this episode or you're just really optimistic that we'll only get better from here, like, subscribe, follow You're Doing Fine Oklahoma on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram. You're doing fine, okay, pod. That's you are underscore doing underscore fine underscore okay underscore pod.